Verse 12 again. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is, is to make great and to give strength unto all. You say, well, now, wait a minute. I went out and I worked for these things. Well, who gave you the talent? Who gave you the health? Who gave you the strength? All health and all strength comes from God. And you know, all he has to do is pull the plug anytime he wants to. In my years of ministry, I've seen lots of people who've begun, who had begun to become very prosperous. And actually, seriously, they came to a place where they said, I can't afford to tithe anymore. Just tithe is too much. Just recently I had a man say that would be too much tithe for that size church. And you know something? He wouldn't pray with me when I said, let's get down and ask God to bring your income back down to where you can afford to tithe again. Because he said, I have gotten this to myself. Rather than realize that God says, I have started to bless you. If you'll continue to flow in my economy, I'll continue to bless you. And I'll make you to prosper beyond your wildest imagination. Verse 13, now therefore our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Why have we got so many things to give you, Lord, he said. For all things, what? Come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Lord, you gave it all to us and all. This is ridiculous. Here we're standing here acting like we're giving you something, Lord, when in reality you gave it all to us. Can you imagine somebody walking up to me and giving me a thousand dollars? Just think of it. <laughs> and me turning around and saying, hey everybody, I want you to see what I'm going to do. If Brother Chuck came up and gave me a thousand dollars this morning, I'd turn around and say, I want you to come up here in front, Chuck. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see. Now I'm going to give Chuck ten dollars. Isn't that great? Chuck would be standing over there, hey, I slipped you a thousand, you know, in his heart. And I'd be saying, isn't that wonderful? Let's give God a hand. I'm going to give him $10. And Chuck would go back and say, why, that hypocrite. I gave him 1000 and no one knew it. I did it out of the, you know, just quietly slipped it to him, letting my left hand over my right hand was doing like God said, did it in secret. And here he stands up and hands $10 to me and acts like he's a Pharisee. He is a Pharisee. I am giving to Chuck, and I want him to know that I love him. Give him you know, it sounds really ridiculous. But that's exactly what David is saying. Here we stand and act like we're doing something for you, God, by bringing you all these gifts. But if we're really honest, you gave them all to us in the first place. Why are we getting so excited? Why are we acting like we're doing something big? We didn't. We aren't giving you a thing. We're simply returning some of the blessings that you've given to us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's what the scriptural principle really is. We don't own any possessions. And of thine own have we given thee, for we are strangers before thee, and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O oh, Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee, and house for thine holy name, cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own. Lord, everything that we've brought here to build the temple with, you gave to us in the first place. We're just bringing it back to you. Now, if you're still having difficulty with that, let me tell you something. If you, you feel that maybe your house or some property that you have is yours, talk to us about it a hundred years from now. It really isn't ours, is it? We hang on to it, but it, sooner or later it's going to slip through our fingers. We talked to some people just recently that must be worth between 50 and $75 million, and they're getting older and older and older, and we just see that, that they're desperately still grasping for more and just... Got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. And one of these days it's just going to all put through the... It isn't there. But the 
horrible responsibility that's going to be theirs if they're not faithful and recognize that it all came from God and that they're going to be held responsible before God for what they do with it. You see? I'm talking about scriptural principles now. Haggai, the second chapter. Haggai, the second chapter and the eighth verse. Got any silver or gold stored away? Is that yours? Some people just recently brought gold and silver to the Lord and when our building fund came along. God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. How many of you believe the silver and the gold is the Lord? Amen. How many of you believe that all the oil and gas in the world is the Lord? Amen. Amen. None of us are. It's all here. The third thing is that the talents that we possess are not ours. So many times, that's where we get into trouble. Someone said one time that the choir of the church is usually the war department. Because many people get into the choir and pride wells up in them and they'll sing a solo and they'll want everybody to hear what a beautiful talent they have and they'll come up and sing. In fact, I've had time and time again people come to this church and walk up and say, Brother Webb, uh, I, I sing very well and I'd like to sing for your congregation sometime. I think, all right, all right that's great. I have to be very careful. I don't say, uh, whose talent is that? Is it your talent? If it's your talent, we're not interested in hearing it. If it's committed totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and it's done for His glory, then we want to hear it. So many times I've heard musicians do nothing but exalt themselves by the way they play or the way they sing, just emphasize themselves. And when they walk down, people are, you know, thinking, wow. Instead of saying, Lord, thank you. Their talents are not our own. Matthew 25 again, verse 15. Look at it. Matthew 25, 15. Hope you're keeping your finger in there. You're going to wear your Bibles out this morning. Matthew 25, 15. He gave, what? He gave five talents to one servant, to another two, and to another one. In Exodus, he gave them to them. Whatever your talent might be, and there's some tremendous talents and abilities in this building right now that God has given I'll tell you, the one talent that, that I really do thank the Lord for is the talent, the ability to be able to draw. I told someone the only thing I can draw is flies in the summertime. That's not my gift. To try to draw a straight line for me is difficult. Electrical work is a tremendous talent. Many, many times I have put wires together and suddenly there have been sparks flying in every direction. I don't understand. I can even read it many times and I can understand the most basic that if there was a wire here and a wire here and that one is black and that one is white, I can rewire it that way if they don't change the colors on me on the wire. And they give me the very same fixture to put in that wall. But don't get me involved in these three-way switches or the four-way switches or anything. That takes a talent. I was down in, uh, in one of the businesses in Orlando the other day, one of our brethren that owns the company down there. And as I was sitting there for a, man, a moment, a man walked in and asked a question. And I was amazed. Just out of right out of the conversation, turned around and he rattled off a whole long number of numbers again, and said, "That's the one that will deal with it." Now you know, I—that's not my gift. Playing a piano, I sit and watch my wife, and remember that I took six piano lessons and decided I should marry a pianist. You know, I definitely clear that was not my gift, and I wanted to ask the Lord to let me marry someone that could play that piano. But again, that's not her talent. And as Christians, we should say, that's not my talent. God has given it to me. I'm going to be held responsible for that talent. Do you remember when Moses was in the back of the desert and God appeared to him in a flaming bush and he said, now I want you to go back and deliver my people Israel. You go and say that I am sent you. And Moses 
after sitting back there with a bunch of dumb, dumb sheep for 40 years out in the wilderness, had evidently lost his ability to speak very clearly. And so he says, Lord, I, I can't talk. I can't speak. And God said, oh, sorry about that. I forgot about that. Let's see what we can do about that. Moses, God asked Moses a very pertinent question. Wait a minute. I've asked you to do something. Let me tell you something. If God ever tells you to do something, don't ever tell him you can't do it because he wouldn't ask you if he didn't think you could do it. Amen? If God lays something on your heart to do, say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do it myself, but you're my strength and you're my wisdom and you're my understanding. I'll walk in you. I've said it before and I'll never forget it. When Beverly and I were called out to Englewood, Colorado to to um, work in a large church of 2,300 members. I had never led a choir. I couldn't read music, and they asked me to be the minister of music in that church, where we had, I think, four or five choirs, a men's chorus, a ladies' chorus, a, an orchestra, and several small groups. Oh. The, the traumas I would go through, laying in bed at night with my foot kicking the foot of the bed, my arm going like this, you know, and constantly saying, now, Beverly, play that through again. Teach me what you... But I went out and said, Lord, if this is where you want me and you showed me indications this is where you want me, I'll go and I'll just trust you for it. And somehow, for three and a half years, God saw us through. At least Sue still talks to me. After three and a half years in that church out there. God says, who made your what? To Moses. Who made your mouth? Don't tell me you can't talk. If I've called you, I'll talk. He says, no, Lord, get somebody else to do the talking for me. I wonder how many blessings Moses lost because he allowed God to bring Aaron along. If Aaron had not been stuck in that position, there probably wouldn't have been a gold calf to worship later on. You know? The trouble we get into because we don't recognize that when God calls, God equips. God's will will never put us where God's grace cannot keep us. Because it's not our talents, it's not our ability, it's his ability in us. If we recognize it and declare that. Look at Exodus, the 31st chapter. We are trying to establish a biblical, scriptural principle here. Exodus chapter 31, verse 3. Exodus 31, verse 3. Let me read beginning with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Who called him? He's called him by name, see? And I have what? Filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning work. God says, now I've called this man and I have filled him with wisdom. Recently, one of our young men was brought up to the front and prophesied over and it was said that God had given him special talents to work with his hands that it would be a very simple thing for him. Now, that's a gift that God's given him. It's not his. And if he ever says, this is mine and I'll do it the what I want to, he's in deep yogurt. He's in trouble, isn't he? All right? But that's his gift from the Lord. And he has to say, Lord, it's yours. Now let me glorify you with it. How can I use it to bring honor and glory to you? Can you imagine this man coming in to do the temple and saying to Moses, now everybody get out of the way here. I... I have studied very hard to learn how to do these things, and I don't want anybody to argue with me. I'll do it, and when it's done, I'll want a plaque put on the front of there saying that I did the handiwork. That boy's in trouble. God says he gave him that talent. 1 Peter 4.11. 1 Peter 
I can read verse 10 with that. First Peter 4, 10, and 11. And every man hath received the gift. Some of the men have received. Is that what it says? Every man. Does that include you? Okay, God says every person he calls has received a gift, at least one gift. Some two, some five. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister. How? As, you, as though you've received it, knowing that you've received it from God. It's not your own. The same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Peter said, if you're going to do anything for the Lord whatsoever, do it as of the ability that God gives you. God has given you ability. You say, my ability isn't spiritual. Yes, it is. It's spiritual as you make it spiritual. As you say that I know there are others that may not be able to do this because God's given me special talent and ability to do this. And Lord, I give it back to you and ask you to bless it and you to multiply it. And later on in this message, I'm going to show you how we can avoid non-scriptural principles in our businesses to keep from failing in business. And how to establish biblical principles, scriptural principles, in order to be assured of success in our business. They're in the scriptures. And we can know what they are. You see, if we recognize that they're from the Lord, if we don't use them, we're going to what? Matthew 25, 28. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And I want to go on tonight. Tonight is going to get exciting. Tonight is going to get exciting. It really is. Because I'm just trying to get down some scriptural principles here, and then we're going to operate, going to see how we can operate and make them operate in our lives. And I want young people and adults to consider the seriousness of this subject because it will affect every area of your life. And it needs to be made a conviction in your home and in my home that my money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. You establish that in your home, and God is going to bring prosperity in our home. Now can you say amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would cause that earwax to be gone so we're not only hearing, but we're responding to what we've learned this morning from the Word of God. That you want to minister truth to us, that you want to bless us, and if we'll flow in, in, in a consistency with your Word, that we can expect those blessings to flow. We just commit this time to you and these thoughts to you. And I ask this morning, Lord, that there'll not be one person here that'll feel that when they operate according to your principles that they're going to lose. You told us not to lean to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you and you would direct our paths. And you said that your paths are always good and right. And there's prosperity in your paths. People simply walk in obedience in them. Father, minister that truth to our spirits this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking around, please, I just want to ask this morning if there be, might be those that say, Pastor Webb, God has dealt with me this morning and spoken to my heart. And I have to admit that I have not had this outlook in my life completely. But I'm just declaring to the Lord right now by this upraised hand and for the commitment of my life that I'm not my own, 
that my possessions are not my own and that my talents are not my own. I, I give them right back to the Lord right now. And I want to walk in that truth in the days ahead as a conviction in my home. Would you just slip up your hand? Yes. God bless you. I see these hands. Are there others? I want to walk in that conviction. Father, I'm so thankful that it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, saith the Lord. And I ask that your Spirit would just put a hunger in our hearts to know exactly what your Word says, and then at any cost, at any cost, walk in that truth, knowing that you've promised to bless those who honor you. We commit this truth to you today and thank you for it in Jesus' name. And I ask, Lord, that you'd minister to the hearts of those that raise their hands right now. Lord, I just agree with them right now. Knowing that this is a scriptural principle upon which they can base a conviction. And if they'll do so, their lives will be different and their lives will be fruitful and blessed of the Lord. We commit them to you, Lord, and I just ask that you'll continue to convince and, and to speak to our hearts and make us to realize that there's no other logical answer in life. You own everything. And we're just your servants. For Jesus' sake. teach his family in order to protect them from the destructive influences of wrong desires, false philosophies, and satanic temptations. These are the ten com uh, convictions that Bill Gothard presented in his seminar and is elaborating on in his men's manuals. Each one I understand is going to cover one of the convictions. And the one that we dealt with the starting this morning was, my money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. We laid out some scriptural principles this morning from a message that I had preached several years back. Can you remember what those points thus far were? Number one, first point this morning. Remember, we were at Calvary Baptist Church this morning and the pastor spoke. And he said there are several principles here that we must understand and know. The first one is what? What? You don't own yourself. He called his own servants, didn't he? All right. The second one is what? You don't own any earthly possession. He called his own servants and gave to them his own good. That which we have is not our own. Everything that we possess is in reality the Lord. And the third one was? That's right. The talents that we possess are not ours. Good. Four or five of you taking notes. Praise the Lord. Now, go on tonight. I just finished up saying, uh, giving out that portion of the talents we have are not our own. And he said, Take therefore the talent from him that give, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, Father, again I ask in Jesus' name that you will cause our ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Father, it's so important for us to hear. When I realize how you spoke to the church of Ephesus, and said, now, if you don't repent and get back to your first love, I'm going to take the candle away from you. And to realize that today there is no church of Ephesus anywhere on the earth. It's gone. Because it did not get back to its first love. It didn't hear what the Spirit was saying to the church. In Jesus' name, cause us to hear and to obey and respond and cause these things to become convictions in our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask it for his sake. Amen. Point four. 
God will give us, require an accounting for our talents in the 19th verse of the 25th chapter of Matthew again. Would you turn there with me, please? Matthew 25, verse 29. Excuse me, verse 19. After a long time, now who did we say the man traveling into a far country was? He was Jesus. And who were his servants or his bond slaves? Christians. And whose property was it he gave them? His property. Now it says he went away, and after a long time, how long has the Lord been gone now? Almost 2,000 years, isn't it? After he's been gone a long time, it said, The Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He asked for an accounting. When is this going to be? When is he going to ask for that accounting? When he returns again. It's the second coming, isn't it? Now, when we die, what happens to a Christian? He goes into soul sleep, huh? Oh. Absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. That's right. Our spirit goes to be with the Lord, and we await the resurrection of the body, that we'll receive our new bodies. And when we come into the presence of the Lord, the Scripture tells us, I believe, and teaches that there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ for all believers. And you'll find that in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and the 10th verse. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For some of us must appear... Is that what it says? Now, he's talking to believers, isn't he? Get that down. The servants are going to appear. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ as the Lord is going to appear. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word in the Greek is the bima. The bima. Now, again, let me explain what that is. Some people say, well, that mean I'm going to lose my salvation. If you're there, you have not lost your salvation. You've already been caught away with the church. You have your salvation, but you stand there prepared to receive your reward. And our reward will be judged by the works that we have done in the body. Now, I want you just to think for a moment over the past year. Of all the things that you've done in the past year, how many of them are going to stand the test of fire? How many of them are going to be burned as wood, hay, and stubble? And how many of them will go through the fire as precious metal? Just a drop burned away. That's what's going to happen at the Bema. All of our works that we've ever performed in our lifetime are going to be tried as by fire, and that which is done of the flesh and of pride and of wrong motive is going to be burned up, and we're going to lose any reward for that. And only that which has been done in the name of Christ and for with the right purpose and the right motive within us to exalt Jesus Christ, Him doing it through us, only that will survive that fire. And at the end of that time, we will receive our reward. You will notice, for example, when they have all these Olympics and so forth, at the end of the, the trials, they have these raised platforms. The first is on the top, the second on the, the right, and the, left is on the, uh, the third is on the left of the person standing on the top step. Now, that's what we call the Bema. They're not there to see if they're going to win. They're there because they've already won, and they're going to get either first, second, or third place. But it says we're that, at that place we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether he have, to, according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad, God's going to judge it at that time. So it isn't just a case of saying it's nice if you get the time to serve the Lord, it would really be nice, but we have to recognize that we're not our own that our possessions are not our own, that our talents are not our own, but in that day since the Lord gave it to us, 
He's going to hold us responsible for what we do with it. It isn't a case of getting home free. God's going to say, now I gave you these things. What did you do with it? When we stand before him, I, I, I just shudder when I think that there's going to be some that he's going to say, hey, take that away from him and give it to this one. He's been faithful over little. I'll make him faithful over much. And let me tell you something. You're going to be shocked when you get to heaven because there's going to be a lot of people that you think are going to be standing there with all kinds of rewards that are going to stand empty-handed. And others, if you think they didn't get a thing, that God's going to give great rewards to. Because man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. What did he say to the Pharisees that stood in the public place and raised their hands and said, Oh, God. Everybody said, Ah, how spiritual they are. If I could just be like them. Jesus said, Don't, don't get excited about that. They already have their reward. They wanted the praise of men and they've got it. But it's those who quiet. I could, I could just go on and on and on about Christians that I have known down through the years that no one around even knows they're doing anything. But quietly, they're being obedient to the Spirit of God, and God sees that very thing. Let me read that same verse to you, a part of it out of the Living Bible. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and to have our lives laid bare before him. Let me tell you something. It really doesn't make much difference whether I see what you do or whether you see what I do. If we're doing it as unto the Lord, God sees it. Can I say that again so you don't miss it? It really doesn't make one bit of difference whether I see what you do. Every once in a while I come around the church here and I see some little things that are done and I know somebody's been working around here. And they haven't said a word. They haven't come up and said, Brother Webb, I just want you to know that I did thus and such. But it's been done. And I thought, Lord, thank you for that person, whoever it is. You know who it is, and you're going to reward them for it. And there are things that I do that some of you probably don't know anything about. And I couldn't care less. Because if I go around and tell you all the things that I've done, then I've already gotten my reward. See? I remember a good example of that was when Dr. Bill Hammond was here. And there was a certain brother around that... Uh, didn't really know exactly how to handle the situation. He had been working, and of course I didn't know what his work was, but he was a finished carpenter. And as Dr. Hammond was praying over this man, he said, now don't you even think of leaving this part of the country. You stay here. He was thinking of going to Georgia with his family. You stay here because you're going to be doing, to the degree that you can help, you're going to be helping finish up the new building, the church building that this body's going to have. For I, get this now, I have seen your handiwork. And he came to me later. I said, what type of work do you do, Brother Walt? He said, I'm a finished carpenter. He said, Brother, that had to be God, because he said, for months I have been going in and trying to patch up all the work that other carpenters have been messing up, door frames out of kilter and window frames out of kilter and door jams crooked and everything. And so I'd go in, instead of just doing my work, I'd go in and try to correct all theirs. And, and, and I got the place and I thought, well, who cares? They don't seem to care. Why should I care, Lord? Who cares? Who pays any attention to what I'm doing here? And God said, well, I have seen your handiwork. I'm going to honor you for that. Now I've got a job for you to do here in this body. Well, that thrills me to know that there's nothing you and I will ever do secretly, way away from everyone else, but what God says, I see it. Now, there are a lot of people that know that God's given them gifts and they're not using them, and I want you to know that it ought to bring terror to our hearts when we know that God says, I see it. Can I get very personal for a minute? Will you still love me? There are people in this body who could contribute an awful lot in the Sunday school classes of this, Sunday, of this church. And they choose to stay at home. And I want you to know God sees it. 
and you'll have to stand before God and answer for it. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm being honest with you. You would be able to contribute to the Sunday school class and be a blessing to those in the class, or if you wouldn't be a blessing, then you need to be there to get fed, but God sees it. I'm being honest with you and telling you what I believe the Word of God says. God sees it. Okay. Number one, I don't own myself. God owns me. I don't own my wonderful possession. My talents are not mine, and I must answer to God someday. So consequently, because of these principles, our conviction must be that my money is a trust from God. That's what that conviction is. My money, therefore, that which is in my possession is a trust from God, whether it's much or little. Whether it's much or little. Did you hear me? Some people say, boy, if God give me $100,000, there's just so many things I'd do for the Lord. What are you doing with the dollar and fifty cents that you've got in your pocket? Now, believe me, that's important. What did he say? He that is faithful over what? Little. I will make faithful over much. Don't talk about what you're going to do with $100,000 until you do it with a dollar and a half. Lord, what would you have me to do with this dollar and a half or 75 cents or 50 cents? I remember when I was in Bible college, I went from a job where I was making $75 to $120 a week coming out of high school, working full-time in high school, and went to Bible school making $7 and $8 a week, and I said, Lord, I'm going to pay my tithe out of this, and if there's any other place you want me to give it, let me know. And do you know something? God told me too. There are times when I had 50 cents left in my pocket, and I was supposed to go for bus fare for the next two days to go to work, and God said, give it. He said, Lord, you know i got to go to work, Lord. All right, whatever you say, Lord. And I'd pull out that 50-cent piece, and that seemed like $100 to me. And I'd drop it in the offering plate for a missionary speaker or someone who had a need. And I'd say, now, Lord, I'm going to trust you to go to work. And I'd walk across the city park. There was a one-block-wide park out in front of our Bible college. One day I remember walking over there, getting ready to go to work. I was a janitor in a trucking firm. And I stood on the corner and said, Lord, I don't have any money, and I don't know how to get to work. I've got to get there, though, for testimony's sake. And as I was standing there talking to the Lord, now... You think about this, in a city the size of, of St. Paul in Minneapolis, standing on a street corner, and a man pulled up the curb and said, where are you going, fella? I was standing up on the sidewalk. Where are you going, fella? I said, well, I'm supposed to go to work. I work over here in the midway, over in the area, just almost over Minneapolis. Well, he says, I'm going right by there, didn't you? I, I went there at night. I had the set of keys, and I opened up the offices, and I would go in and work, and nobody was ever there. And then when I got done, I was just get on a bus and come back to, to school. And when I got there that night, there was a man working in the office. And I couldn't imagine the lights being on. I went in, I started doing my work. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I had some work to get done. And pretty soon he said, how much long are you going to be? I said, oh, about another 30 minutes. He said, well, good. He says, where do you live over there and go to the St. Paul Bible College, don't you? I said, yes. He said, well, listen, hurry up and finish up. He says, I'll take you home. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Didn't have a penny in my pocket. But you see, I'm saying if we're faithful with the little, God will be faithful with the much. Let me show you what, what is meant when I talk about a trust. My money is a trust from God. I, I want to give you the dictionary's definition of a trust. What does it mean, a trust? Something managed for the benefit of another. My money is a trust from God. God said, I'm going to give you my money, and I'm going to have you use it for my glory. Does that sound right? That's what we're learning is a, is a biblical, scriptural principle, isn't it? Point two, something committed to one's care. God says, now here, you take care of this, 
You work with it as though it is, because it's mine, I want you to work with it as though it's your own, remembering, though, that you have to give an accounting to me for it. Third definition. Obligation or responsibility imposed upon one in whom confidence or authority is placed. I like that. I like that. Obligation or responsibility imposed upon one in whom confidence and authority is placed. Now, Jesus said, go ye into all the world. As you're going into the world, preach the gospel. Now, you have all authority over all the powers of God. Now, I've given you talents. I've given you possessions. And you're mine. I want you to take them out and with authority use them for my glory and honor. I'm, that's, that's a trust from me. I've given you the authority and the power to do what you have to do with it. Now, I'm not talking about the tithe. I'm talking about all of it. It's all the Lord. You know, there's nothing that disturbs me more than to hear some businessmen say, well, I give my tithe. That just wipes me out. Because, number one, I, you know how I feel about that. You never give your tithe. You either return it to the Lord or you rob the Lord. Second, it isn't yours. <laughs> it's all the Lord's, and the tithe is what you return to the Lord in order to show him and declare to him his lordship and his ownership in your life for the work of the minister. And you find out where the tithe goes. It goes, we don't call it a storehouse today, but it goes for the support of the ministry God has established where you're submitted and where you're taught and where you fellowship. And I've had people say, well, how about other ministries outside? Offerings. Love offerings and faith offerings and seed faith offerings out and beyond. But the tithe goes to the ministry and the storehouse where you're fed and your family's fed and encouraged. All right? I won't even charge extra for that. Third, a confidence reposed in a person by making him or her nominal owner of property which he is to hold, use, or dispose of for the benefit of another. All right? Confidence reposed in you. God said, if you're faithful over little, I'll give you some more. Say, okay, now work with that. If you're faithful in that, I'll give you some more, and I'll work with that. If you're faithful, I'll give you some more, and I'll work with that. Now, you're the nominal owner of it. If, uh, if anybody doubts that, go down to the courthouse and see whose name is on the title. Go to the, to the bank and find out whose name is on the account. Now, just remember, you are the nominal owner. You are not the owner. You're the nominal owner. You have been entrusted with that, and they've said, now, you go ahead and use that as though it's yours. Last. To commit or co-sign something to another's care with confidence and leave without fear. When Jesus left, he said, the gates of hell, what? Shall not prevail against the church. He said, put on the whole armor of God and stand. He said, the victory is already ours. Just claim the victory. Walk in that victory. And he said, I've already given you all this authority and all this power. I've given you these talents. I've given you this, these finances, this money. Now recognize where it comes from and operate accordingly. You are only the nominal owner. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter and the 18th verse. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Let me read verse 17 first of all. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto his fathers as it is this day. He said, now, you Jewish people, don't you get the idea that because you're prospering and blessings are being poured upon you, that you're just, you've got special talents that nobody else has got. I gave you that ability to get money. We used to kid when we were in Bible college with each other, you know, 
Back then, they rub two pennies together, and you call almost everybody out of the dormitory room. Four guys are really struggling trying to make it. And uh, we used to say, boy, if I ever have to have a blood transfusion, have somebody with Jewish blood give me a blood transfusion, because it's in their blood to make money. God says, now don't you Jews get proud and think that's you, because I've given you that ability to make money. Look at Proverbs, the 8th chapter. Proverbs, chapter 8. We're talking about scriptural principles now. Proverbs, chapter 8. Verses 20 and 21, talking about wisdom. And, I, and I, I took it from another translation and wrote it down. That's why I'm looking at that and looking at this and saying there are two different verses here. Uh, let me read it to you from another translation. I, wisdom, and who is wisdom? Jesus Christ is made unto us what? Wisdom, all right? I, wisdom, lead in the way of righteousness. In other words, when you walk with me, you'll do what God requires on a consistent, continuous basis. If you seek wisdom and direction from the Lord, you'll walk in paths of righteousness, another way. In the midst of the paths of judgment, you will see people being judged all around you, but when you walk in obedience, you'll be in the paths of righteousness and have God's blessing. He says, that I may cause those that love me to what? Substance. And I will what? Glory. Does that sound like there's a, 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 that God's going to tr uh, entrust us with something if we're obedient to him? I, wisdom, lead you in the paths of righteousness when everybody else around you is being judged. And if you'll just walk that out, I'll make you the inherit substance and I'll fill your treasury. Let me read you Proverbs 10, verse 22. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord, it what? What? Rich. It maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. Let me tell you, there are a lot of guys that go out and get rich quickly. They pull a gun on a bank or they break into a house, but sorrow comes afterwards. But when God makes you rich, sorrow doesn't come with it. Amen? All right, now we're getting a biblical scriptural principle here. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I like this one. I want you to see all of the alls uh, uh, and everies and the positives here in this verse. And God is able to make some grace abound toward you. Oh, all grace abound toward you. That Wait a minute, who's he talking to? Who? Say that again, Bill. Amen. <laughs> now, you can believe he's talking to the Corinthians if you want to, but I want you to know that all Scripture is inspired of God and is for our exhortation and our encouragement and our building up. All right? It's for those who believe. And God is able, he didn't say he was going to do it for everybody, but he is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Does that sound like there's one? Does that sound like there's lack? Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. May I just stop and say I know that there are people in this body who are struggling financially. I want to say to you that in 1975 my wife and I declared at that time that God was our source and that God was going to cause us to come into prosperity 
that God was going to bring us financial relief. I want you to know something. We have been confessing that for five years, and I'm going to tell you something tonight. It's coming. Now, you remember I said it's coming, and it's going to come in a glorious way. God has used so many different wonderful ways in which to make provision for us in this time of need, but it's coming. Why? Because we are every day desirous and trying to walk in obedience to God's Word. We're trying to serve Him with every ounce of strength we can serve Him with. We're trying to be obedient and use the gifts and talents that He's given us and the strength that He's given us to serve Him. Now, God's Word declares, and it cannot lie, it's absolutely settled forever in the heavens, that He will fill our treasury, that He will make us rich. And He's not just talking about rich spiritually. God is not against riches. He's against the love of riches. He's not against money. He's against the love of money. Someone said if God was against wealth, he'd have to move out of heaven. You get that? If he was against it, he'd have to move out of heaven. It's got gold and jewels and everything else up there. He wants to bless his people. My children, I desire above all, things, all other things that you prosper and be in good health even as thy soul prospers, John says. God wants that. You say, Brother Webb, it sure doesn't look like it in my life. Well, maybe we're missing some principles that God wants us to see that if we begin to operate in those principles that we'll see a relief. Now, if you've got money coming to you from your job or from your business or from the government or from insurance or from an inheritance or from your investments, wherever it's coming from, I want you to be able to stop and say, Lord, I recognize tonight that it all comes from you. You're the source. I, you just simply use different channels to bring it to me. That government, that job, that business, that inheritance, that, that investment, that is not my source. You're my source. Because I'm yours. And you said that if I am faithful with what you give me, you'll give me more. And I recognize that everything that I possess, first of all, comes from you. And it has to be an act of your will to where right now you just transfer the ownership of your money, your possessions, your earnings, your earning power to God completely. Say, Lord, it's all yours. And Lord, I give you the final word in every cent that I spend from this day forward. God doesn't want us to be tight-watched. He wants us to enjoy life, but he doesn't want us to be spent for a season. He wants us to be responsible for what he gives, what he gives us. I've heard so many people say, well, I paid my tithe, the rest is mine. Wrong. You've returned God's tithe, and he said, now I'm going to hold you responsible for the rest of it. Someone said recently that they were really taken back when they went into church and said, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. They had a sign on the wall. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Let that soak in for a while. If I make $50 a week and I give $5 a week and return in $5 a week and tithe, I've got to make it on $45. That's sacrificial, isn't it, giving? If I'm making $2,000 a week and I give $200 a week, now I've got $1,800 to play with through that week. Is that equal sacrifice? It isn't. And you see, Jesus said the same thing when he saw them in the temple coming and dropping their money in the box. The rich men came by with bags of money and dropped them in, and Jesus said, I'm not impressed. Next guy came and dropped a bigger bag, and I'm not impressed. And the widow came around and took her little mites and dropped them in. And Jesus said, now there, there is a giver. She gave all that she had. There's a giver. See, God's not impressed with the size of the gift. And when I hear somebody say that my tithe is too big for a church, it's not too big for God. 
because it's his time. He gave us every sinner. And we ought to come with rejoicing and praising and thanking the Lord and saying, Lord, I bless you and praise you for the privilege of declaring your ownership in my life. And I return that which is yours already to thank you for all the blessings of life. And Lord, I'm trusting you because you said you're my source and you'll meet my needs. Don't let that paycheck, don't let that business, that inheritance, that government money, that insurance money, whatever it is, the investment money, don't let that be your source. Or you've limited your source. You've limited God. I hope in the next two years that you pick up this tape and listen to it again. <laughs> Glory to God. My money is a trust from God. The second thing, it must be earned according to scriptural principles, and I don't think we better get into that tonight because it's going to take me a good while to get into that. I've declared to you some basic scriptural principles here. The second part is going to be that it must be earned according to scriptural principles, and we need to know that. Do you know that in the United States today, I'm told, that only two people out of every 100 reaching age 65 are self-sufficient. The land of opportunity, two out of 100 reaching age 65 and retirement are self-sufficient. Not needing Social Security, not needing Medicare, Medicaid, all these other things. I wonder why that is. Do you suppose that there aren't enough people that have learned the scriptural principles of God where he says that he will bless them? What do you think? I believe with all my heart as we begin looking at some of these scriptural principles that many of us begin to see wherein God has not been able to bless us. God has not been able to open the doors, the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing such as we can't contain. And when we begin to find out how we can get, get in line with God's economy, we'll begin to see the blessings of the Lord flow. And you know something the Lord just reminded me of? He said I was going to start preaching uh, Canaan messages. I didn't even think about that till just now. I'm preaching some Canaan messages to you tonight. That it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey when we get in line with God's word. I'm talking not not just not spiritually out here. I'm talking about business wise. There are principles that God put in His word that says if you do this, you'll prosper. If you don't do this, you won't prosper. If you do this, I'll stymie everything. I'll stop up the the, the flow. How I many of you think that's valuable to learn? Huh? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Is everything the Lord's tonight? I hope you'll go home and look at all your possessions. You say, that won't take long. When you look at them all, thank the Lord for them first. And then turn around and give them back to him. Remember what I told you Beverly and I did the first night we were married? Went to the motel room and knelt down next to the bed and gave each other back to the Lord. I said, now Lord, you've given her to me and I'm giving her right back to you. She's always going to be second in my life. You're first in my life. That's important. In every area of your life. Our children, I've, we've given them back to the Lord. They're His. He's given us the responsibility of raising them in, a line, in, in accordance with His Word, but they're His. And these same principles operate in the area of the business. And I believe we're going to see God give relief when we begin to flow in obedience to God's Word in these areas. Will you do that tonight when you go home? Just begin to thank the Lord and give back to Him everything. Your paycheck, your job, your possessions, your talents, everything. Say, now, Lord, I just confess to you that all yours, and if you just show me where and how I can use them, I will. Now, be careful when you say that, because he might send you over somewhere to fix somebody's house or somebody's refrigerator or, or somebody's truck or somebody's, you know, whatever. He might, he might cause you to use your talents to go do it without them even asking you. He just might send you over, you knock on the door and say, the Lord told me to come and do some ironing for you today. They'll go, oh, you know. Give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. That's the principle to get it flowing, see. 
But there's some other principles we have to look at next week in order to, to find out if God can really bless us where we are. The goodness of the Lord leads us to repent. And I'll tell you, God's going to have to do some things to some of us probably to where he'll just knock us down with goodness. We'll just lay there on the floor and ball and say, Lord, I don't deserve any of this, but I just thank you for all of it. Amen? Amen. Will you do that tonight when you get home? You don't need to come to an altar to do that. But you know, just to get you started, it might be well for you to bow your head right now and just ask the Lord to remind you that when you get home, you want to thank him for everything and give it all back to him. And I don't want you to hold on to anything. Mom and Dad, let your kids go. Turn them loose to the Lord. If you have a ministry, give it back to the Lord. If you have financial problems, give it to the Lord and ask the Lord to show you what's stopping the flow of his blessings in your life. If you have a job that's got you all concerned and torn up, give that job back to the Lord. Tell him he can have it. If he wants to take it away from you tomorrow, he can have it. You just want to be right where he wants you to be. I'll guarantee you one thing, it'll sure save a lot of ulcers. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. If you think you do, grab your bootstraps and see how far you can lift yourself off the floor. You can't get very high if you belong to yourself. Let God begin to exalt you and lift you up and do what he wants to do in your life by giving him back your life right now. Will you do that? Honey, would you play God is so good? And as you play it through, I just want every one of you right now, quietly right where you are, just to make that commitment to the Lord. If you're feeling a churning inside that you can't let it go, if you just have that turning inside you just can't release anything to the Lord, you come and I'll pray with you. Praise you, Lord. Bless talents he's given you and give them back to him right now and tell him that wherever he wants you to use them you'll be obedient however he wants you to use them you'll be obedient they're not your source he is
God bless you. Matthew chapter 25. As you know, we have been talking about basic conviction. Basic conviction. Scriptural conviction. For those of you that are new, I have taken the ten basic scriptural convictions that Bill Gothard in his Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts presents and have tried to preach a series of messages on it, trying to bring out scriptural truth that is necessary for us today for which every man should teach his family in order to protect them from the destructive influences of wrong desires, false philosophies, and satanic temptations. And let me assure you, this is a day and age when it's easy to know truth and not live it. And we have to be very, very careful because the enemy, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. And we have to make sure each day that we not only know something, but apply that truth to our spiritual experience. And this is why I said it's one thing to know truth in your home, but if it doesn't become a conviction, then actually that light becomes darkness. And you have to go back and find that light again and say, Lord, I opened myself to that light. I want that light to become a part of my life. I want to walk it out. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he said that when we become new creatures in Christ, that we become the light of the world. And the only way we can become the light that Jesus was is when we manifest the same fruit and the same nature that he manifested. And that's what the scripture speaks of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We've been on the eighth conviction, my money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. Now I want to say again that I'm talking about scriptural principles. You don't have to agree with me. You can use your own principles if you want to, but if you want to establish in your home that which God can bless and that which God can make to be a blessing, then you need to find out what the scriptures have to say about your money and act upon that. And then we can begin to flow in what God has for his people. Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 14th verse again. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five, other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them or asked for an accounting. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside him five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. 
Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would open our ears to hear, to respond, to understand, comprehend, that we might hear what the Spirit saith unto the church today for the glory of God. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We started off last week, or week before last, and said four things. First of all, what? You don't own yourself. Second, you don't own one earthly possession. It said his own servants in the first one. They were not themselves. They did not own themselves. They belonged to the Lord. You don't own one earthly possession. It was his own property that he gave to them, wasn't it? And we said when we started that this one that went off on a journey, that, that represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And the servants are those who follow after him, profess to be his servants. We have to understand that. Now, first of all, it says that they were his own servants. He owned them. And second, he gave them his property. Third, our talents are not ours. He says, it says he gave five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to another. And the, the scriptural teachings are that the talents that you and I have, have and possess today from birth, and those that we have developed, these are a gift from God, and God can take them back anytime he wants to. We ought to thank the Lord for them every day. Fourth, God will require an accounting of our talents. It says, He cometh and required an accounting of them. What did you do with the talents that I gave you? So last week we said, My money is a trust from God. My money, the scriptural position is, My money is a trust from God. And the first thing we have to do is, as an act of our will, no matter what source we're getting our monies from, job or business or whatever it is, we must declare that God is our source. He has given us the ability and the talent to earn money and the strength to earn money. And as I said, it's very simple. If God wanted to prove that to you, all he has to do is stop that little thing from beating inside your chest. One minute. Just one beat and it's over with. He's given us all these things and it's by the grace of God that we receive our next breath. So it behooves us as leavers to transfer all of our ownership of our money and our possessions and our earnings over to the power of God and let him have ownership over it. Say, Lord, I just want to stop and confess. And this is what we did last week. Lord, I just want to confess to you that I give you back. And I declare and I recognize that everything that I have is yours. And I want you to be the owner of it. And I want you to instruct me how you would have me to use every bit of it. That's the first thing. Number two now, it must be earned according to scriptural principles, it says. My money is a trust from God, and it must be earned according to scriptural principles. Now, what are these scriptural principles? There are many people today that are in business and can't understand why. I think it's something like uh, three out of every five businesses today go on the rocks. That's the last I heard. Maybe it's more now. They don't make it. And you begin to wonder and look and see what principles they build upon. And if you find them contrary to the Word of God, we begin to understand why this happened. I said last week that, some, uh, that in the United States, there's some 2% in the United States today in this land of opportunity that at the age of 65 are totally self-sufficient. You don't have to worry about Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, any two out of 100. That's an amazing statistic to me. 
And that's because so few today know how to flow in God's economy. To understand God's principles and begin to work on it. Now, let me tell you something. When you begin to flow in God's economy, it doesn't mean that overnight you're going to become a wealthy person. But it means that prosperity, prosperity will come if you are careful to find out God's standards and God's program for prosperity. Principles that he wants you to use in your daily business. Let's just share a few in a, in a kind of a verse Bible study. First of all, general financial financial principles. And the first one is found in Proverbs, the 11th chapter. Proverbs chapter 11. Will you do a little verse study with me? You might want to write these down. Proverbs, the 11th chapter. And the first general financial principle that we have to watch out for, lest we fail in business, is the, the principle of stinginess. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. Read it with me, will you? Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meet, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He's saying that there is a place that you can come to where you begin to hold back, thinking I've got to hang on to this, lest I lose it all, and it tends to poverty. God will see to it that he can't, that you will not prosper. Then he says there is that which gives away and gives away and gives away, and it tends to prosperity. Now, Jesus expanded on that in the New Testament when he says, Give, and it what? Shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. He says it is not the principle that you hold on tightly, and then you'll be prosperous, but rather... In the economy of God, in the will of God, seeking God's direction for your life, you say, Lord, where would you have me to put this? Who would you help me to help? Lead me and direct me. Show me where you want me to put my funds. And as you do it, God says, that was obedience. Now I'll bless you. But he says, don't be stingy. Malachi, the third chapter. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, the third chapter, verses 8 through 11. I remember reading some time ago of a man who was giving and giving and giving and giving and his wife finally said you're going to give us right into the poorhouse if you don't cut it out if you don't quit giving away like this we're going to end up in the poorhouse he had her get in his car and took her down to skid row went up and down skid row asking all the the uh, indigents there on skid row uh, are you here because you gave too much money to the lord's work are you here because you gave too much money to the needy people and every one of them shook their heads he got her back in the car she was embarrassed him dragging her up and down skid row and finally got back in the car and said well that theory is blown away. None of them are here in poverty today because they gave away too much. And I thought, I imagine that woman never forgot that illustration. Malachi, the third chapter, verses 8 through 11. Want to read it with me? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye how much? All the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. We could go on and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, 
Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now he's saying, I don't want that to be your motive for giving, so that I will give you more back. That should not be your motive. Your motive should be love and obedience. But the end result of it is, I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll take the curse off of you when you're not stingy. And there are many people that start off in business say, we've got to just hang on to every little penny, and, and we don't dare tie the business. We'll tie our personal income, but not our business income. And God says, you're really going to find that that brings you to poverty if you're going to flow in my economy. The second one is hastiness. Hastiness. Proverbs again, chapter 28. We're going to be in Proverbs quite a bit now. Proverbs 28, verses 20 and 22. Would you read it with me? A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. You ever heard of get-rich-quick scheme? Pyramid programs, all these little things where if you get in and somebody else gets in and down the line all this money's going to come to you, get, God says don't get involved in that kind of a thing because it will come to poverty. A curse actually comes with that money when you are literally robbing it from some other people. God brings a curse with it. You won't hang on to it. It won't last. It'll go away from you. So when you're thinking about getting into business, don't get into a business. Always be looking for a business where you're going to get rich quick. He said it's the faithful, it's the steadfast, it's the consistent man who day after day plods away and does an honest work that is going to prosper. Not this, hey, I, next month I'm going to have a million dollars in my account because I've got this scheme that's going to work. God says, I don't get involved in that or you will come to poverty. That's the principle upon which he says we must operate. I know I have been presented, I suppose, in my lifetime, a couple of hundred of these get-rich-quick schemes. And I find out that in the end, somebody gets hurt. And God says, I won't bless that when somebody else is going to get hurt with what you're doing. So he says, if you want to flow in my economy, don't be hasty to get wealth. Proverbs, the 13th chapter. Stubbornness. Proverbs, the 13th chapter and the 18th verse. You ever seen know-it-alls before? You can't tell them anything? God says, you want to be poor, you want to go into poverty? Be someone that won't listen to instruction. Listen to what it says in, in verse 18. Read it with me. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Verse 20 is interesting. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The same idea here is if you're in business today, constantly be looking for men who are successful in their field to give you instruction and guidance and direction. There are some people you can't tell them anything. They'll never succeed. But it says a wise man will receive reproof. And he says that the words of a friend may hurt, but they, he knows they're the words of a friend. That it will actually cause that man to be better. If you can't stand reproof, if you don't like correction, God says, look out, you're going to head for poverty. There's no way around it. God tells us that he knows our thoughts afar off, and a proud and a haughty look he sees afar off, and he despises it. So if you want to succeed in business, be open to constructive criticism at all times. Seek out every bit of information you can to make yourself succeed, and be thankful to those that bring you that information. 
if you're going to flow in the area where God can make you to prosper as a businessman or a businesswoman. Proverbs, the 20th chapter, verse 13, talks about laziness. Proverbs, the 20th chapter, verse 13, talks about laziness. Read it with me. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. In other words, get up, get out, and get at it. The scripture says in the New Testament, if a man will not work, neither let him what? I was told the other day by a man, a businessman in Orlando, that he was working at his place of business, and there were four or five men sitting outside the door, and they were talking to one another. And one of them said, you know, this Reagan is in now, and if, if he gets his way, we're going to go have to go back to work. And there's no way I'm going to work. I'll find a way to get what I want for my sustenance or my daily provision. One way or another, but he's not going to make me go back to work. And he said, all of them were able-bodied men out there. And all said, that's right. We've been able to live off the government this long, and there's no sense in Reagan turning that around changing it now. And I thought, if you only knew scriptural principle, God says, get up, get out there, and work, and you'll be prosperous, and God will make you be prosperous. God gave every man equal opportunity. He didn't create all men equal. Equal opportunity to get out and to produce. Now, I know that the poor we have with us always, and there are always going to be some that will be rich, no matter what, if you took all the money away from them and turned them loose again, in a couple of years they'd be rich again because God has given them initiative and insight and understanding in business. So it's impossible to constantly make everybody on a status quo. The idea of taking from the rich to give to the poor eventually ends up where everyone's poor and no one can give anyone anything. So the government has to take over everything. And if you want to know how good that is, ask them over in Poland or in Russia or in China. Then Proverbs, the sixth chapter, having to do with laziness also. Proverbs 6, verses 9 through 11. Read it with me. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Another portion tells us in the scripture that the lazy man is one who wakes in the, awakens in the morning and he says, I don't dare go out there. There might be a lion out there. I was amused recently. My wife immediately identified with it when it showed a, uh, a little comic in the newspaper. This woman is trying to get out of bed and he says, I can't get out there. It's Monday out there. <laughs> it's Monday out there and I can't face Monday. But the lazy man lays in bed and says, if I go out there, a lion might get me. So I'll be safer to stay in bed and... That tends to poverty. So God says, if you want to prosper, don't be afraid of work. That is the method by which God has instituted men to gain gold. By the way, you and I are goal-achieving creatures. If you do not have any goals in life, then your life is very empty and vacant, and you are going to find emptiness in your life and not joy. You should begin to sit down and say, I have this goal and this goal and this goal, these short goals and these long-term goals, and this is what I'm going to do. And then start working toward them. And don't think that if they don't work out exactly, immediately, that you might as well give up. But if you methodically, faithfully, consistently work toward those goals, not getting in a hurry to get rich quick, God says he'll prosper you if you seek his direction as to what field to work in. 